Hey everyone, welcome to Unlikely to Apologize. I'm one of your hosts, Nikki. And I'm Heather. Hey, hey, what up? Hey. I don't know what the hell that was? <laughs> I feel like I'm losing my mind. Like we're at the end of summer. And I literally feel like I'm losing my mind completely. Or like you're running, I feel like football started for you and like you're running around and we're scheduling things and, and vacation roundups. and Yeah, so basically I went from doing nothing. <laughs> Shane, if you're listening, I did not do nothing all summer. Um, he doesn't listen, so I'm good. But yeah, no, I feel like I went from doing nothing to right now. Football started for for Gavin and then Shane coaches. Um, and I do, we've, we've got a bunch of interviews we scheduled. So, but also just, summer there's something about it that like just I don't know I'm in a funk and I feel crazy yeah I think the end of summer always ends up (laughs) that way like I August for whatever reason just is like overbooked for me and I don't know what to do with myself obviously with scheduling interviews um we're away this weekend I'm away the weekend afterwards and then I have one where are you going this weekend uh we're going to El Campo um what is that you keep saying it and I'm just like oh yeah like I know what you're talking about but I um, really have no idea what you're about (laughs) it's another like luxury resort uh RV resort because that's what we do now um they have like a swim up bar a floating river they have one of those inflatable obstacle things on the water yeah Um, John's gonna is John gonna do it no he laughed just (sighs) when I asked him he doesn't do those things I know but um, my friend video you doing it for us I'm going to try to get somebody. So my friend, Marissa, it was kind of a last minute thing. Cause I was supposed to have my, my, one of my best friends from home was supposed to come visit, but she unfortunately like wrecked her Achilles playing softball. So like she had to have and everything. So she had to cancel her trip and Marissa had already invited us. So I just kind of piggybacked and I was like, Hey, we're free that weekend. Um, yeah. We'll join you. So we'll be her. It's like her, her husband and her kids on, I think some other family members, um, but yeah, so they have all these things. So we're leaving late Friday afternoon for that. And then next weekend, I'm going to Denver uh, for one of my yes. sister's best friend's bachelorettes. Uh, I'm really excited for that because I'm also going to see my first friend I ever made in Austin uh, moved there four years ago. Sarah, I don't know if she's listening, but I'm so excited. We have not seen each other in four years. So wow. I, yeah, I'm going in a day early so I could spend the whole day, like day, night, stay at her house with her. Um, and then meeting the rest of the crew on Friday. And then we have a That's break. Fun. Yeah. And then we have a break and then my parents will be here for two weeks. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot going weekend, on. Yes. That is a lot going on. This weekend's my birthday. I know. I'm sorry. I know I'm not here, but I'm taking you out. I know, but we're going out Thursday to celebrate, but I'm going to be 38. That's all the shit. (laughs) We're only as old as we feel, Miss Heather. Um, So I'm going to be, it's my birthday on Sunday. I have no idea what Shane's planned. Um, He won't tell me, but he's alluding to the fact that he's planned something. Mm -hmm. Do you know? No, I don't know shit. You made a face like, you know. No, I was looking for this thing. Um... So that's this weekend and then not the following weekend, but the last weekend of August is the weekend before our wedding anniversary. And I have no idea what we're doing. He seems to say that he's planning something, but there's football stuff that's going on like every weekend. So right. I don't even care. I was like, all I want to do is go to the lake house with my friends. (laughs) Can we just do that for my birthday? No. 
So yeah, no, I agree with you. August is, it's a blur because it's birthdays and the end of summer and just all the things. So, so. anyway, yeah, there's that. So I we did, have... I started a thing today and I, I have to share this because I know that there are other people out there. So I'm nervous. I started a thing today. So I <laughs> I have talked about our house and the amount of rooms we have, and there's just the two of us, right? But mm-hmm. I don't think people listening realize my obsession with clothes and shoes. So like I have my clothes closet that's in our master bedroom. Um, and then I have a giant sh- walk-in like shoe closet. And then in my office, I have all of my office clothes. <laughs> and okay, then- so question, what? How, how much of that closet space is John's? <laughs> So in the master bedroom, he has only like, we, we split it. So it's like left and right. So he's on the left and on the right. I should really show this on a video. This is funny. And then, but one of the guest room also has all my work shoes. So like today, because we've been talking about like RV life and all this stuff and like downgrading or whatever, I was like, I haven't touched my work clothes, not only since the pandemic 2020, but I started this job working from home in 2019. So holy crap. Yeah. So the only time that I ever really needed work clothes was when I traveled. And when I travel, you know, it's three or four days here. I don't need a closet full of clothes. So today on my lunch break, I took everything out of the closet. Do you know that I have, I have fucking skirts in like every color every color three shades of pink you wear color because since i've known you you're like me where it's like black white gray maybe every now and then if we're feeling crazy some kind of color but like so yeah so yes you're right but when my work (laughs) clothes i in the spring have all these little cute pencil skirts with a black or white top so i have pink variation like three variations of pink some green some blue, like things that you would never picture me in. But then not only did I take them out to go through them and go what I didn't want and what I wanted to keep, the things that I wanted to keep, I had to force myself to try on, which like, so surprisingly, like I kind of want to pat myself on the back. Most of it still fits. So can you do a try on? Cause I want to see you in some color. Oh, I already got rid of them. <laughs> I went right on by nothing and was like, does anybody want this? But dang it. I know I got to be remember to do more stuff on stories, but like, this is a dress that I used to wear. Look at all that color. And I'd put like yeah. a black cardigan over it. Yeah. Yeah. But everything else, if you just look at this pile, like I'm just going to tilt this. It's all black. <laughs> yeah. That looks, that's the Nikki I know. <laughs> yeah. So needless to say, oh, and I have cardigans in every color, you know, like every color. So needless yeah. to say, I have two piles right now that are the definitely keeping and the maybe will keep because even mm-hmm. if I start, I started the new position at work, I don't think there's travel involved like my old job was. So even right. if I didn't need to travel, I just need a few staples. I don't need to take up yeah. three closets. I don't. I you know what? No, I ask you about the closet and I laugh because. Well, now we have our own closets because we moved, but in our old house, we had to share a closet and then I still had overflow closet. And so in the new house, we each have our own closet, which mine is packed full. And then in my office behind me, um, 
I have a bunch of crap. I don't even know what's, you know, what's in there is that freaking pink fluffy prom dress. Oh, I forgot we bought those. I have my weird one in the other room. We got to do that at some point. Yeah. That's a story we'll save for another day, but I've got all this crap. And so Shane comes in one day and he's like, Hey, I got to put my cold weather, like hunting, fishing gear in your office closet. And I was like, I don't think it fits. <laughs> he made me make it fit. So that's why I laugh because I'm like, I, know. I have, like, I have literally taken over we have five every, bedrooms, like every fucking closet. And I'm realizing like, you know what John said to me? Because he stopped home at lunch break to eat really quick. And he's like, what are you doing? Cause he saw me doing it. And he's like, that doesn't mean you need to go out and buy more clothes and shoes, Nick. Because I also got rid of shoes. I had a whole closet full of work shoes. So now he thinks you're going to replace. Yeah. Shoes. So my response was, well, I don't need to dress up for work anymore. So I'm not, I, I don't need to buy work stuff. He goes, it doesn't mean it's going to stop you from buying more clothes. And I was like, Mm, touche john davis so i'm not not buying anything i'm going to denver next week i'm not buying anything new hold me don't be impressive i'm you know what let's talk about this really quick anytime i go on a trip it doesn't matter where i'm going or what i'm doing i have to buy something new yep but why don't know so my only saving grace for not buying something new is that when Allie was here with her girlfriends I bought this really cute leather mini skirt that I didn't get to wear because their flight got canceled so our plans for that night to go downtown didn't happen so to me that's new I haven't worn it yet so I'm not Mm. and I also bought a bodysuit you know what that would be cute with what like a button down like a white button down Mm -hmm. I feel like you could pull that off Really so good. I have two options. I have a, are really good. Yeah. So I, like have, the- I have a white um bodysuit, or I'm gonna do like a cropped band tee because it's mm, Denver, and I feel like that's cute really too. Cool. Yeah. So I have ideas. I should do outfits of the day when I'm gone. Um, you sh- yes, or you could. I mean, you could do something in stories where you ask our listeners what they think you should wear, this or that. We can do that. I see people do that. I don't know. Mm, we got to interact with people. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of people, we have a great interview this week. Yes, Sarah, Miss Sarah Walters, who is a therapist here in Austin. Um, she Good life is, counseling. Yes. Uh, we had a great conversation with her as she is starting to dive into um, understanding and learning about having compassion for yourself. And it was a really good conversation that we had. Um, I was re-listening to it when I was going through the edits and it kind of actually turned in somewhat of a therapy session for the two of us. Oh, it did. Yeah. I started listening to it again yesterday and then some things happened. And then I was actually listening to it right now when you were like, hey, let's do this. Yeah. So, and it's funny too, because you mentioned during the interview about how different we are, because we talk about how like. I'm always the fact of like, if I get a sad moment or whatever, I'm like, buck up, bitch, we ain't doing this. Whereas you're very much like, I'm going to sit and like wallow and, and let me feel. For years, I'm going to sit and wallow and cry <laughs> for as long as I possibly can. I yeah. still don't so, like that, but. It was, it was, it was good to re-listen to kind of hear the difference in the two of us and, you know, what we do. And Sarah is absolutely amazing. Like she's so she filled is. with knowledge and her voice is just so soothing. Like. Yep. I, I like just, love her. It's like the welcoming, calming, like it's her voice hugs you. Right. 
it's that's the only way I can think to explain it is like when she talks and when she's talking to you or with you about you know whatever you've got going on she's she's very um like you said compassionate and it's just like you could just feel like like a warm hug around you right I freaking love it yeah my computer's about to die (laughs) technical difficulties everyone but I'll continue fine I'll continue to talk so she um also in the midst of her own anxiety and learning that she was actually I think she mentioned um anxiety and depression um she as a therapist very much surprised that you know I'm a therapist why is this happening to me so she goes and she dives into that a little bit um but her practice is called good life counseling, good life counseling, but she has a hand, her handle on Instagram is roots and bloom. And we'll tag it all in the show notes for people. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. It was really interesting to kind of do like a a group therapy session, even though that's not what it was supposed to be, but, um, she's amazing. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, and we'll put all, um, yeah, let us know what you think. Um, the best way to do that is to leave us a review on Apple iTunes, your podcast. Rate us with a five star <laughs> and leave us a review. That is one of the only ways that people can find us. It bumps us to the top. Um, yeah. Yeah. And as always, if you know anybody that has a story or somebody who's in a profession that you would like to learn more about or uh, just want to introduce them. You can uh, email at us at hello at unlikelytoapologize.com. You can also slide into our DMs on Instagram. Heather has been doing a great job this week of taking care of our stories. So start interacting with us. Um, we're we're trying, people. Um, but you can find Read us the book with us. Read yes. the book with us. What's the book? What are we reading, Heather? Regretting You by Colleen Hoover. Oh, I love her. Um, and you can find us on Instagram at unlikely to apologize podcast. Um, and also on our personal ones, I am Nikki underscore cams. I am Heather Lynn Flores. And that's a wrap folks. We hope you enjoy the episode and we'll talk next week. Bye everyone. Bye. Hey, Sarah, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's my pleasure, Nikki. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been, I know we've been trying to schedule this for a while. So thank you for reaching back out to us. As we all know, life like takes over. Heather and I know that very well. (laughs) Yes, it can be crazy. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and share a little bit about what I've been learning and yeah, I'm struggling with and all of the things. Great. I think this is, this is a perfect opportunity to like, just let's take some time, tell everybody who you are. Okay, awesome. So I am Sarah Walters. Um, I am the owner of uh, Good Life Counseling. It's a private practice here in Austin. Uh, So I've been a therapist for 14 years now, and then also a supervisor for the past four years, which is basically when you're getting your hours towards licensure, you have to be supervised for those 3000 hours that you're that you're getting. And so I get to walk with people who are in training to become a supervisor or to become a counselor. And um, I love it. I love what I do. Um, you know, people let me into the most vulnerable spaces and that's such an honor and a privilege, you know, for people to feel safe enough to open up to me. Um, I'm also a mom. I'm a very imperfect mom of three <laughs> girls that 
I just took to the skating rink plus two of my friends' kids. And let me tell you, like, I thought, oh, this is going to be so much fun. Skating is freaking hard. <laughs> like so roller hard. skating? Yes. Oh gosh. I've been roller skated since I was like seven. Oh, oh I, so I have like the funniest story. Um, a couple years back when I used to live in Connecticut, my friend Rachel wanted her like 30th birthday. They had did like an eighties night, at the local roller rink. And I put on roller skates and I was like, I can't do this. No. I had to get roller blades because it was easier for me for some reason. Yes. But it's hard. Your body's going to hurt tomorrow. There's muscles that you don't even know exist anymore. <laughs> I'm telling you, you do not look cute. Oh you do not look cute roller skating unless you really know what you're doing. They still have the little thing that you can hold on to. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, the little bar that goes with you. That's right. I didn't get one, but I needed one. Um, but I was like trying to help my kids. And anyway, so um came home and I was like, I gotta get ready for this interview. But anyway, so I'm a mom, uh, three girls and married to my boyfriend from college for 16 Aww. years now. Um, so that's a little bit about me. You know, my goal today is just to share honestly about my journey and some of the things that I've learned along the way. Um, you know, I, I love what you guys are doing here and thank you. Yeah, well, that is so powerful to hear people's stories um, because more often than not, you know, listening to other people's stories takes us out of feeling like we're alone, you know, and when we're struggling, we feel like we're alone. That's, that can be a really traumatizing thing. Right, right. Um, and so hearing people's stories, it takes, it universalizes, it takes people out of isolation. So you know, none of us are immune to being human and experiencing the pain that comes along with being human, but we sure can ride the waves of human experience a lot more easily when we can recognize that we're in this together. So thank you for having me. Oh, I love that. Thank you for, for mentioning that. That's really our goal. So that I just, yep. got, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so just a little bit for whoever's listening, I, we, me, Nikki <laughs> went to Austin pop-up retreats, their first retreat, Tish's first retreat. And you were one of the speakers there. And I absolutely fell in love with you and what you, you know, you do in your practice, but you shared some a vulnerable story about being in a position where you were questioning yourself and what you were doing. And I think this is something from somebody who sits in the chair that you do for people like me or Heather, or people who question therapy and understanding what it does for people how useful and helpful in pulling yourself out it can, it can do. So if you don't mind, do you mind kind of sharing that with us? Yeah, I would love to. I would love to so much. More often than not, I'm, you know, on the opposite end of listening to people's stories and helping them sort through it, but not necessarily sharing my story. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when I first became a therapist, I thought that I needed to be the expert and, almost like there was like this power, like I need to, I need to figure it out and fix other people. And, and then life hit me <laughs> and, and this is this experience that really, really initiated me into recognizing like, we're all, we're, there is no fixing this human experience. Like we, um, you know, there's no avoiding the trials of life, but there's the ability to change the posture that we have towards each trial, which can greatly shift our experience in life. And so when I'm working with people, I am, 
I am equal. I am you. Like what is in you is reflected in me and what's in me is reflected in you. And there's no, there's nobody that like has it all figured out. And I think that's really important to know. And I remind my clients that too, of just like, I don't have this figured out either, but I do, I have learned some tools to, through my own struggles, but then also through my own strength training to help this process, um, just to, I don't know, to live in a little more elegant ways, not so, um, to make it not so, uh, so much suffering. So where, where I'll start is the, the time of my life that you heard about at that retreat, Nikki, and it was a really dark season for me. Um, and that season catapulted me into a lot of learning and self-discovery. So this challenging, you know, mental health crisis that I had came a few years into being a therapist. Um, and I had gotten my license and I had given birth to my first daughter. And in the in many ways, I was kind of at the top of my game. I was, you know, um, I was in full-time uh, practice during the day. And then I was, uh, I was a musical artist by night and on the weekends. And, you know, I had my baby and, and was trying to keep up with all of the things, all of the things um, until I just couldn't anymore. And I started really struggling with a lot of weird symptoms, um, like intense dizziness and um, I started getting like numbness in my extremities and um, I stopped being able to sleep and started having panic attacks and I was running into doors and, um, and then experienced the first time I'd ever experienced depression where I remember like sitting in my shower and going, oh, like this this is what it feels like for people to say, oh, I actually could not wake up tomorrow and that would be okay. That's, that's tough. Um, I, yeah. Um, from a personal note over this, I would say over the last summer, probably I had days like that and it was a new experience for me too, where I, I mean, one of the examples I use is Heather called me up to go shopping. I love shopping. <laughs> like I won't say no to it. And I literally responded to her. I am not good company today. And I laid in bed all day. And it took for my husband to be like, Hey, this, this isn't, this isn't okay. Like you, you shouldn't be doing this. And that led me down my own path to try to figure out what was going on. But that feeling is, is it's intense. It's real. Like somebody who could be so happy and so on top of things and literally dreaded the day. I just didn't want to do it. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Overwhelming when you're depressed it feels like whatever this state that I'm in, it's always going to be this way. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we take that experience and we like project it into our, the rest of our lives. This is, this isn't the rest of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, with all that, I was like, what the hell is happening to me? Like, I'm a therapist. I should know what's going on. So I was thinking like, you know, maybe I have MS. And or maybe it was a brain tumor and I was getting all these scans and I went and um, got a, I think a CAT scan or an MRI on my brain and turned out everything was normal. <laughs> and I was experiencing anxiety and chronic stress that was leading to depression. 
And I remember feeling like, you know, I, I should, I should have this together. I shouldn't be struggling like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just was scared. Like it can't just be an anxiety, um, but I, it was. And I kind of was riding that high in life until eventually I fell apart and it wasn't working anymore. And, you know, what I now know is that our bodies are meant to go from states of stress and then go back down to rest and calm and safety. This is called completing the stress cycle. Like our nervous system has a gas pedal where we go into states of stress and it's like the get up and go, it's our workhorse and our nervous system has a brakes pedal where it's the time to release, to let go, to power down. But most of us, especially in this society and our culture, we don't know how to do it. Right. Um, And we're stuck in these states of chronic stress and eventually the the gas runs out and this is called burnout. And Mm -hmm. this is the function of depression. Our bodies are living in states of uh, chronic stress. I feel that I've, 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 I've had, I've been in burnout. And the, one of the things that when I get on the subject of completing the stress cycle and what burnout might mean, one of the things that always comes back to me is in those moments, I, I always recognize it. It's just cause I, I just have a lot, like I'll figure it out or I'll work a little bit more and make my day easier tomorrow. But in reality, I was just ruining myself in the process. Like you're constantly on this go, go, go level that you're not listening to what your body is literally telling you, like, slow down woman. This is, this is too much. And you, when you said you're flying high on life, like I was in a position where I felt I was at my peak. I was doing everything I was supposed to do. This is what I wanted for my career. This is what I was waiting for. And then it just crashed one day. And I was like, oh, this isn't supposed to be this way. I'm not supposed to be this workhorse that I've always envisioned myself to be. It's not healthy. Right. I like, I, I resonate with that so much because it was a very tough realization for myself when, when I went through it. So I feel yeah. that. Absolutely. And you know, what, what I discovered and in, in that burnout and what I tell my clients is that things falling apart can be some of the most sacred moments of rebirth. That's beautiful. I love that really can like so much of the depression or anxiety can actually act as really beautiful it's a beautiful messenger that says like the way you're doing it it's not working anymore it was working for a time Mm -hmm. it doesn't work for you anymore so it's time to rebuild and grow into a new shape and and that's what we do sometimes we have to break to rebuild right Um, and so that's what I started doing you know I started listening um, because my body was shouting out for me to pay attention, like to start doing life differently and started listening to my body started actually, and that was a large part of my recovery journey was actually um, getting just out of my head and trying to fix everything through my head. And then also getting into my body and listening to what's happening inside. Um, and so I began learning, you know, personally things that have completely changed who I am as a person and how I practice as a therapist, lots of self-awareness, how to care for myself, you know, my mind, body, and spirit. Um, But one of the greatest practices that I learned that I want to kind of focus on today is the power of self-compassion. 
Mm. Love that. All too often, I'm constantly telling people like, go with grace, give yourself grace, take the time to understand that this is just a one-off thing and things can go any way, shape, form, direction that you can imagine. But if you internalize and understand that you are going with this, not necessarily through it, it's just moving with you, there'll be a better outcome. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but it's the way that I I have right yeah and I have a really hard time with the self-compassion thing because like my my whole thing like the journey that I'm on and like the healing journey that I'm on is following years of infertility and failed cycles and failed IVF and the idea of right giving yourself you know compassion and grace when you feel like your body failed you is a really hard thing to do and when you feel that way for years like that self-compassion piece is missing yeah. Yeah. Like your body becomes the enemy. Right. So how do you have self-compassion for something? I mean, it's your body, right. But how do you have self-compassion or self-love for something that you feel like that you blame is the problem and the reason. And yes. Oh my gosh. It's so good. And it's so true. We, you know, I think that posture of blaming or hating or criticizing our bodies for whether it's through infertility or not being skinny enough or pretty enough or strong enough or whatever. I mean, we tend to um, try to better ourselves through Mm -hmm. self-criticism. That tends to be the primary way. And I work a lot with clients on like, it's internal family systems. So understanding how each part of you is trying to help you. And one of those parts is the inner critic. And so we have to compassionately explore what's the inner critic trying to do for you. And actually the gift of the inner critic is that it's trying really hard to make you better. It's trying really hard to help you out. And so what it does is it actually, it rejects, it judges the body or, you know, it gets in judgment of it and then tries to fix it and make it better. But what it actually does is it, um, it makes us disconnect from ourselves. Mm-hmm. We hate our body. It's not enough. If you were in a friendship and someone always made you feel like you're enough, you wouldn't feel connected to that. Right. right. So healing is actually about compassion. And so that's why I, I, I get excited to talk about it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, I always talk about, you know, let's, whatever we see in this session, we're going to look with really kind eyes. Like let's put on really kind eyes because you go so much further when you can see everything um, and every part of you um, with, with kindness, with compassion. So, you know, compassion literally means to be with suffering or to come alongside suffering. So compassion means to be a nurturing and gentle presence to the pain. So self-compassion is the practice of being that kind presence to our own suffering. I love that. I know. I really love that. I really, really love it. That's a shirt. That's just, I keep doing this thing now. Like that's a shirt. Like that's, that's amazing. I've never actually put compassion and suffering in the same 
Like I would never even put them together. No, but what's weird is I found myself saying like with, within like to myself. And I just said it to my husband the other day. And I said it to my kid a couple of times, like you can be happy and sad at the same time. So it's interesting, like to put that thought of like, you can hold happiness and sadness at the same time, but I've never connected like the suffering and the compassion together. Totally. Compassion isn't about judging or fixing. So when we judge ourselves or others as like bad, we're feeling as bad or dysfunctional, then we immediately feel the need to fix it. Right. But you can't heal what you can't feel. So if you're feeling something like sadness, right? If we are like, this is a bad feeling to have, it's a natural feeling to have. It's just one that people don't like to have as much. Like no one goes like, what do I do with this happiness? Which is a natural (laughs) feeling. But when we're sad, we're like, what do I do? And it's like, no, that's actually like, that's a state of emotion that's really normal to have and is part of the human experience. But we judge it and then immediately um, we try to fix it. And that's a way of avoiding. And then Mm. we never actually get to heal because we're just in resistance to what we're feeling. So compassion, like you were saying, Heather, it's like, it's just a much larger presence that can come alongside any feeling, any thought, any struggle, any person and sit with it in Mm -hmm. this like accepting and safe way, right? This is actually what creates the context of healing from the inside out. Oh, I love that. Wow. I'm like speechless right now because I have now a whole new understanding of of compassion. Cause I always say I'm the most compassionate person you'll ever meet, <laughs> but I like never in that, I don't know, context, I guess. So this is, I learned something today. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So then I would ask, like, you might have compassion towards certain things or certain people, mm-hmm. but where in your own life, like where, if you look in your shadow, what do you see that you don't like? And you don't have to tell me that. I'm just saying, no, I'm, I, I'm now I'm thinking I'm like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> what was that what was that piece so I guess my question for you too as we're sitting with all of this and like you're you're going through your sessions with your patients and you get into these conversations do you ever come across people who have a really hard time grasping this concept or going well no that doesn't happen with me or I don't I don't I don't feel that way or I don't understand how do you kind of pull that out of them or try to at least yes well it's so foreign it's so so foreign Um, and so sometimes for some people, they'll they'll get it right away. Other people, it takes, it's like, it's like trying a new food and you have to keep coming back to it to acquire a taste for it. You're like, okay, now it feels like I get this a little bit more, but, um, people who haven't had a lot of, uh, other people in their life that have been compassionate and kind of unconditionally loving with them have a harder time with self-compassion. Like if they had more um, experience with people who were harsher or weren't very accepting, um, like when someone doesn't know love, when someone hasn't felt love, it's very hard to give it or, or you might even give it to someone else, but actually it's harder to give it to yourself. Like what does what does loving myself even mean? Like I don't even know what it means to be safe with someone else because I've never... I've never, I don't know what it's like to be safe with myself because I've never really been safe with somebody else. So 
part of where it starts is me being that presence for them. Got it. Because usually what we feel and experience externally, especially growing up, is what we internalize. Mm-hmm. And so the, the critic externally then becomes the inner critic and it's how we talk to ourselves. And so in the therapy context, I get to be the open-hearted, compassionate presence, the external presence that then they can begin to see, oh, that's what that feels like, you know? So I'll give you like an example, like um, people, maybe they're thinking of like killing themselves or they're suicidal. Um, what I don't do is, okay, now we got to figure out how do we save you? How do we make sure this part of you is like goes away? Because I see people in terms of parts, right? We're one person, we're made of many parts and these different parts can come up depending on what state, emotional state we're in. So if someone's in a lot of pain, they might be thinking about suicide. And so what we get to know is, is part of you that's wanting to die. What is it trying to do for you? And usually what happens is they start realizing this part of me is actually, it's like a protector. It's trying to get me away from pain. It's trying to help me escape this deep amount of pain that I have. And so then we begin to relate to what most people would go, that's bad. You can't think that. Don't think about, right? Instead of going, no, no, no. Actually, what is that for you? What it, it actually, there's a part of you that's trying to help you out. So we can take any part of them, whether it's the really judgmental part or the critical part or the insecure part, we get to know every aspect of them in a compassionate, kind way and trying to understand where are they hurting and what are they trying to do for you? What's the positive intent? So the more that I can provide that sort of context then they can begin seeing themselves that way. Mm-hmm. And, and when we begin to see ourselves from that compassionate space, we begin to integrate and we feel more whole because no longer are we saying, I can't be this and I can't feel this we actually can allow all of it to be there without it having to drive us, but it's, it's there. I love the breaking down of parts, right? Like I constantly have this thought that we have different personality or you have a different version of yourself with different people, right? So you have all these parts. So to break it down in that sense of the person that's, you know, unhappy, sad or whatever, but then I have a part of me that's always happy. That's always loving. That's on top of my, you know, happiness and to, to hear it being broken down in parts, that's me makes it seem easier to give that part of me or somebody to be able to give that part of themselves grace, you know, allowing that to feel or sit in your feelings. Well, yeah, because that's, it's, if you're like, if there's a part of you that you don't like, right? Like if you're insecure, but you're also happy, you can kind of be consumed with the negative parts that you don't like. And you can feel like that's all I am. Mm -hmm. So if you break it down and you're like, well, wait, but I'm also this, and I'm also this, this is just one piece of me. Yes. I feel like it's easier to find that self-compassion and that self-love. Yes. That's it. We need to take the time to not, to not resonate or make the self-image that part of us, but just to treat it as a part. This isn't, you're not, it's not all of you. It's just one piece of you. I, I like that. I'm going to start. I'm going to start. I love that. that more. <laughs> this is just a part of me. <laughs> just a part of me. And, and 
so first of all, to learn this, I, you know, I go to my own therapy and, um, and often like the kinds of theories that I want to learn, I'll choose a therapist who does it and I'll go, okay, teach me that. And also I'm working on it in my own self, but that beginning to see myself as, you know, one person who, who I really am is a much larger present than these small, like these emotions or these thoughts that come up, like they're just, they're smaller parts of me. It's not all of me, but like you said, when we feel sad, um, it's a part of us that feels sad. And so beginning to just say, no, that's a part. Then you realize, Hmm, there's actually a part of me that can observe this sadness. Then what's that part? If I'm observing this sadness or there's a part of me that doesn't like this sadness. Huh. So now we're talking about two different parts. There's the sadness and now the one who rejects the sadness, right? (laughs) That is literally my dueling, my dueling personalities. I'm sad. Buck up, bitch. Stop being sad. (laughs) And then I'm in her ear telling her it's okay to be sad. (laughs) But you know what we would do? We would actually go to that buck up bitch part and we would say, hey, that part of you, what's its concern about? Because it's it's not it's also not a it's not a bad part. It's trying no. to help you. No. But what's it afraid of? If if this sadness was there, what's it afraid is gonna happen? That I'm weak. That's literally what I'm gonna say. It's a weakness and I don't want it. <laughs> that it's a weakness part of me and I don't want it. <laughs> yes, right. So I'm not gonna keep no, deeper questions, but I have <laughs> questions. You send this to a therapy session. No, I get it. So then we go, so then we go, yeah, yeah. So it's really afraid of of weakness. So how do we actually learn to be really grateful for this part of you that's terrified of weakness, mm-hmm. not rejecting it and saying, God, get get out of here, you know, because the more that you try to make that part, what you resist persists. So the more you're actually mad at this part that won't let you be weak, the stronger it gets. So compassion, again, is this larger president presence. Um, and, you know, a, a really practical thing that I started learning and um, that I do that can look like, you know, on a daily basis or having moments where I feel sad, I tend to not like feeling sad either. I want to be happy. I want to feel strong, you know, I don't I am you. I I get that all the time. I just want to be happy and life's great. (laughs) And also it's like a part of my identity. I can't be sad. You know, I need to make people laugh or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I will, I have this practice where sadness will show up and it, and I kind of feel like, what does it feel like? Oh, it's heavy in my body or in my stomach or in my chest or, you know, constriction in my throat, just getting to know what it is. And then I'll just place my hand over my heart and say, welcome sadness. Like, it's okay for you to be here. You are just a guest to my body. And I know that you'll move through. Um, I know this is really hard right now and I'll just allow you to be here. It's a guest to your body, but it, it doesn't stay if you welcome it like it it ends up because again emotions they move through us but the more that we resist them the harder they push up against us it's kind of like a beach ball like the the harder you try to push down a beach ball the more that beach ball is gonna push up on you 
Mm-hmm. And you allow it, you release it. You allow the beach ball to be there on the surface of the water. Sorry, I should have said a beach ball into the water. <laughs> no, I got it. We got it. <laughs> and it begins to float away. And then, you know, and, and everything's fine. You're, okay. And you get your energy back from not having to resist all of these emotions. But it takes work. It takes practice. Right. I, uh, I do this thing and I've, I've Heather's heard me say, I was like, I'm just going to sit with it. Just, yeah. I'm just going to sit with it. Or I'll tell my husband, like, he'll be like, you, you having a bad day? I go, just let me sit with it. And that's my way of kind of what you said with the hand over the heart. I'm just going to sit with it. Let me feel my feelings and then I'll be fine. And yeah. then we'll move on. So I've, I've gotten better. And I thank Heather for that because Heather always reminds me it's okay. And I'm like, all right, I'll sit with it. I'm going to, I'm going to sit with it. That's how they're doing. So thank you, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm, I mean, I, I sit with it, but I sit with it for a very long time, mm-hmm. depending on what what the feeling is. Yeah. Um, I have found certain things really hard for me to let go. So whereas Nikki can be like, let me sit with it and I'll be fine. I'm like, I'm going to sit with it and I'm going to sit with it for years and I'm just going to let it consume me. Um, so that's where we're, we're different because she can sit with it and be moved on. I don't move on. So I guess my question, Sarah, to that, <laughs> not that we're trying to turn this into a therapy session, but that's another different type of personality that you're working with. Somebody that does sit with that sadness, who takes that piece. And as Heather said, lets it consume them. How would you address that type of person or personality? Yeah, yeah great question. Um, so there's, when we get anxious, we tend to polarize. We either avoid, we run away, or we cling to and refuse to. So Nikki, um, maybe your anxiety, you run away from the feeling. It was like a pushing away. And maybe for you, Heather, when you get kind of anxious um, or sad, you cling to, you fuse to it. It becomes all of you. It overwhelms you. Uh, And I don't know if you would use the word overwhelms, but- I would. (laughs) (laughs) I would yes (laughs) then the question is what's the function of holding on to it so there's a part of you that really wants to hold on to this sadness and so what's a good question I don't know that's a journal question tomorrow Heather that is a really good question that I don't I I wouldn't even know where to I think I've been sitting with it for like you know for so long that I don't know what it feels like to not So it's like a safety, right? If I feel something different, right. Or as with the, you know, trying to have a baby, we did get pregnant and had a miscarriage and like the, the, um, the thought of feeling that happiness of we're finally pregnant to have it like ripped away. Like I'm almost, I guess maybe I'm scared to be happy because then something bad's going to happen. If I'm happy, then something bad has to happen because it's not going to last. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. (laughs) I I don't know what it is, but it's like, you're, you're exploring the function of holding on to your sadness that actually there's a part of you that wants to hold on to sadness as a protective mechanism because it's known and it's familiar and it's actually scared to let go. It's actually scared to let go of this and to venture into the unknown because, and then again, what would you have to feel? What would you, if you, if you um, were able to let go of your sadness and feel happy, um, what might happen? Like maybe you'd be disappointed. Maybe it's a way um, like to keep your expectations low. 
Um, but that's really, really normal. I think we tend to get stuck in our states of being because they feel familiar. Um, and we don't change until the discomfort <clears throat> of staying the same is outweighed by the discomfort of having to change. Like wow. it's hard to change, right? Change. And that's why, you know, wherever you are, whoever you are, you know, I just want to, again, have compassion towards the change process and not to beat yourself up over it because familiar, familiarity, what we feel feels normal. It's a comfort. It's like, it's a functionally dysfunctional place to be. I and love that. Functionally dysfunctional. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's also a good one. <clears throat> yeah. I like to, the thought of it, and this is a different thing because of course, as a friend, right? Like I'm constantly trying to help out in that sense. And as we help each other in our conversations, but I never actually thought about it that way in a sense of, you know, this safe space for you, Heather, like it's, you know, it's, it is your own safe space you've created for yourself, which as Sarah said, is, is normal. And I'm sure there are other people that sit with that in a, in a you know, in a period of time, similar to yours, where it is, it's just safety. It's yeah. It's, so it's that's familiar. Yeah. It's a different way to look at it. Cause again, my personality is like, all right, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> you know, but, um, it makes like, one, one thing to intersect in there, people who have dealt with a lot of trauma, they feel unsafe to feel safe. Oh God. <laughs> so we got the, the right. feeling of safety actually feels very unsafe. They feel more safe in the hypervigilance because mm. whatever they've experienced, they've learned, I need to always be looking out. I always have to be hypervigilant. My, you know, it's that state of fight or flight that feels really comfortable. And so safety in the context of relationships, even it feels like, wait, 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 this feels safe. This doesn't feel good. No, no, no. I can't be happy. I can't. That's, that's what we do, you know? So it's, we have to introduce the feeling of safety in, in you know, more gentle ways and, um, and learn how to tolerate a body that feels safe. Right. Right. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know Heather's face is like, oh, man, yeah, mind blown. <laughs> But it, I mean, that's a, like, it's a good way to look at it because you're not necessarily making it. And that's what I think your whole point of this compassion, you're not making it a negative thing. Whereas we, you know, we have made this hurts Heather's version of sadness versus mine is different, but it is this negative thing. Whereas we should look at it and acknowledge it as it's a safe place. It is okay. And, you know, figuring out a way to adapt with it, I guess. You know, my rejection of it versus her sitting in it is it's, it's kind of the same thing, just in different places. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 this is eye opening for me too. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's interesting. The, the two very different sides of it mm -hmm. um, and how people can see it differently, because I also, by understanding, right. The two different sides of it, it, it can make you understand the people around you. Right. And how they're functioning and why they're functioning the way that they are. And it, I think it, it, it allows you to feel a different compassion on a deeper level for them. Right? right. So like, I can understand Nikki a little bit better and have a little bit more compassion for how she is and who she is. And she with me. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Say it teaches us to practice compassion for other people that we wouldn't necessarily do normally. Not that I don't right. have compassion for you. Of course oh, I did. Right? No, I know, but, but it's a deeper it's, level. It's a deeper level. I, this is, I, I feel like I just got a lesson. I love this. <laughs> that is such a, that's such a great point. And I just fully agree with that. Um, that when you begin to um, thank and have gratitude for your parts and you know, for the part, Nikki, that's like resistant to sadness and how it's trying to help you. And for the part of you, Heather, that is um, clings to sadness and how it's trying to keep you safe in its own way. And you actually posture yourself as nurturing, compassionate presence to it. Then actually the parts relax and they actually give you more space to change and shift because no longer are you in resistance to them. That's actually when you can grow more, but you have to come into connection with yourself, into understanding with yourself for you to grow versus cutting off from yourself or calling these things bad. Um, And like you guys were saying, when you start doing this work, the way you see everybody else will shift too. You can't help but have more compassionate eyes to everybody else because that's a me and oh, wow, that's also in you. And I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, that, um, I was going to go somewhere and I, (laughs) it happens. happens. We get in these deep conversations and we have all these things we want to say. And then sometimes we're just like, uh, but it, it is true. I think, you know, one of the things I always say is that I play devil's advocate a lot where I'm constantly trying to almost to the point where it's a detriment to mine. Cause I will sometimes give too much to somebody else in a situation and I need somebody to bring awareness to me like, Hey, that's a little too much. Like you're, you're giving them too much grace. Like, so that, that would be my opposite, right? If we talk about having compassion for yourself, compassion for others, how do you know, or how do you learn those boundaries of what's too much, what's too little, or, you know, like, how would you kind of teach that? I guess. Yeah. Like when, um, yeah. So self-compassion doesn't mean not having boundaries you can or or compassion doesn't mean not having boundaries Mm -hmm. so you can um, so you can have a lot of compassion for someone while also maintaining good boundaries with them Mm -hmm. um, and not enabling them Uh, so some people when they're struggling and they maybe they're a lot of their choices are really toxic and um, you can have compassion for where they're at, which is a, it's your heart, it's keeping your heart open towards them while also saying this distance is good for, or like I need to put these boundaries in place so mm-hmm. that, you know, um, this doesn't hurt me. Um, is that kind of what you're asking? Or, or Yeah, so know? sometimes it's just, I don't know if I'm even rephrasing the question the way that I want to. I guess I just start <laughs> When you start practicing compassion or you're in a situation where you feel you're giving, giving, and I'm going to use other people as examples and not so much personal, um, like self-compassion, but like you ever find patients come to you and they'll say, oh, I have this person, I'll just say a toxic person in their life where they're giving, 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 and they're losing pieces of themselves and giving, like, how do you teach setting those boundaries of understanding, okay, this is too much. You can still love and be there and appreciative, but from a distance. From a distance. 
Yeah. How do you teach that? Because I know on a personal level with a lot of people or women I know, we're constantly giving, giving to these toxic relationships that we wouldn't recognize as toxic relationships, but because of how we're programmed, you know, we do it. So how would you work with somebody and kind of setting that boundary or restriction and how much compassion you give, I guess, or maybe that's not the right word, but I guess yeah. that, make- <laughs> that is, that's a great question. Um, and again, I think that, that idea of compassion for someone doesn't look like over-functioning for them or being a doormat to them. Mm-hmm. So like, so my, my job as a therapist is to, um, is to help people uh, heal, but also to take responsibility for their own healing. And, and one of the concepts that I use a lot is this idea of um, over-functioning and under-functioning. So when we get anxious, we tend to move into either an over-functioning role or an under-functioning role. The under-functioning role is I'm doing more, I'm giving more, I'm taking more responsibility over what's happening. And the under role is, um, is I feel powerless and therefore I'm going to ha- let someone else take responsibility for me. And in systems, we tend, to, um, we tend to have this dynamic in different relationships. So where someone's doing more of the work or is always giving, giving but there isn't yet that equality there. Um, so one of the things a lot in session is what does it look like to be responsible to people, but not for people, because without realizing it, when, if you can imagine that, you know, uh, there's like a hundred marbles on the table, right? Between you and me, Nikki, there's a hundred marbles on the table. 50 of those belong to you and 50 of them belong to me, Right. But if I'm over, when I get anxious, if I'm over-functioning, I might have a tendency to come over and grab because someone's struggling. I might come over and try to grab 30 of your marbles. So now I've got 80, right? That's over-functioning and you've got 20. And we've gotten this dynamic where now you're not really lifting your weight. And I'm saying you can't do it, but I can. Mm-hmm. And then we burn ourselves out by carrying all the weight for other people. And actually we can only carry the weight for other people when we're neglecting ourselves. Mm. And what we're also doing in that phase of functioning is we're also sending the message, you're not capable. And we're not causing, but contributing to that person not rising up in their own responsibility. And so what we have to learn is how do I take my 50 and you take your 50. And I had to learn this the hard way because, oh my gosh, like for the first, I still find myself doing it, but for the first like seven years I would, um, with clients, I would want to fix, I'd want to save, I want to rescue, right? And what that was doing very unintentionally was that was creating them to be more of like, to be, I actually feel like they had less power because it was all up to me. Right. I had to right. That was part of what led to my burnout until I learned, whoa, whoa, wait, hold on. No, no, no. I only meet halfway, right? So I'm not responsible for you, but I am responsible to you in supporting you in doing the work inside out. And I, it's amazing energy I've saved in that process. Um, and, and still I'll, I'll find myself if I'm like leaning in too much and I'm like, <gasps> 
and I feel myself really wanting to like save somebody, I have to remind myself, lean back, Sarah, lean back. Like you're only take your 50, you know, you're, you don't have to fix this. And, and part of when I'm trying to fix other people is because I don't want to experience the sadness that I feel that is in them. Right. I don't want them to feel their sadness. So the more that I become okay with feeling my own sadness, the more okay I am with feeling your sadness and holding again, a compassionate presence to that. We don't have to fix that. We can just be with it. I like that. that oh was my gosh, great. I love that. That was a great answer. The 50 yeah, use. I'm going to use that more so. I like that. I feel like I'm in college sitting, listening to. I know, I love it. Professor. I'm taking so many, like I'm, I'm actually taking notes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> great. So I love, I love this whole compassion thing. So one of your main focuses in your practice is obviously working with this, with your clients. Um, and I think this is a great, you know, when we talk, we've talked to different therapists and everybody has a different style. And I think different approaches, obviously, depending on your patient, <coughs> obviously, you know, will work. So when, when people, cause we've learned through this whole process of this podcast and, you know, we have people who are resistant to therapy, don't necessarily understand. And then we have people who will dive, you know, head in. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier um, is, you know, looking for, you know, a therapist, I guess, is how would you help or can you tell our listeners a way to navigate if they wanted to start therapy and they didn't necessarily know where to start, how should they go about understanding what type they might need? Because there's so many different options out there, right? So do you have a way of kind of steering or navigating how people should look or connect with their therapists? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I know that it can be a struggle for a lot of people these days, just like finding the right fit and the right fit matters a lot. Um, you know, one of the first things I learned in grad school was that a goodness of fit between client and therapist is like um, 90% of whether or not this uh, process will be successful or not. Right, right. Um, is do I connect with this person and is this person a good fit for what I'm needing? Um, so uh, one, there are you know websites you can go to. Psychology Today is a website that you can kind of look um, and, and type in what kinds of therapy you're looking for, whether it's like for anxiety or depression or eating disorders or, so there are different therapists who specialize in um, different issues. Um, so, uh, that's the, the main source I think in, in Austin is psychology today. Um, but what, what you want to do is you want to, um, interview people, call, call your therapist, call at least three of them and, and talk to them over the phone. They should give you a 20, 30 minute time just to, uh, get to know them and for them to get to know you to see, you know, do they do what you're looking for? It, like, is that their specialty? And if not, they should refer you out. Mm -hmm. um, but you can talk about that initial session. Like, do I feel comfortable with this person? And you can ask them, how do you practice? What, you know, how do you help people with these kinds of issues? And, um, cause there, there are a lot of different theories, you know, that, and, and, sometimes it's hard if you don't know what kind of theories that, you know, what the theories are to know what you're getting into. So just asking a lot of questions about their style and um, 
and what the practical, you know, what each session looks like can be helpful to understand if that's, you know, if you like that or not. Um, and, and I always say, you know, therapy doesn't have to be for people that are just um, like in dire straits. It can be, I mean, I, I do therapy all the time. It's for me, it's like a self-care thing. Um, like it's an amazing place where I get to talk to someone for an hour every other week about just myself, how amazing (laughs) they're out of like my emotional process and they can offer so much, um, insight that I might not have access, access to because emotionally I'm too close, you know, to what's going on. Right. Well, that's great. I'm going to, I noted that for the show notes. You said psychology today. Psychology today. Perfect. Yeah. All right, it's my favorite time of the day because we got to be mindful of time. <laughs> my 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 sentence. Um, I do want to say thank you. This was like I can continue. We could continue on the subject for days. I swear. Forever. Yes, but <laughs> I I actually have one final question for you before we let you go. Yeah. What is the one thing you used to apologize for in the past that you are unlikely to apologize for now? Great question um I think I've gotten good at apologizing for the right things rather than the things that don't need an apology and mostly um what I'm no longer willing to apologize for is for my thoughts or how I feel at in any given moment um I don't know. It's like, no matter what I'm thinking or feeling, I just recognize now that it's all very natural and a part of the human experience. Um, you know, people can be offended by our anger or our doubts or our opinions or our questions. But, um, you know, going back to what we've been talking about, part of what I found about becoming whole is about allowing all of those things to be there. Like even in my marriage, like just to give you an example of something that my husband and I had to be really open about is like, oh my gosh, we actually um, find other people attractive. And it took us like 10 years to be able to, like, (laughs) actually I'm kind of fantasizing about that person. It took us like 10 years and we, to talk about that and then to like, look at each other and be like, huh, look, that was honest. And the whole time. Like, and, and how natural is that? How right. natural, you're right. not, you don't die, your, your eyes don't fall out whenever you're, you know, you get married, but it's like recognizing that whatever is there, it's okay. Like, it's yes. okay. And I think what we um, feel like can't be there actually ends up ruling us more. Mm-hmm. If we allow it to be there, then we can live a lot more thoughtfully. Um, and so, you know, where I will apologize is when acting upon some of these thoughts or feelings, when it becomes destructive to someone else, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to apologize for being human. I love that. That is so good. I'm not going to apologize for being human. That's going to be the that's, yeah, that's be the Monday post. No, it's a great that. thing. It's so good. I'm not going to apologize for being human. That's that's perfect. And whatever you feel, whatever you feel, whatever you think, it's all human. Yeah, it's human. 
Love it. That's my favorite so, I think, so far. <laughs> if, if people want to find you because they just um, need more of you, where can they find you? Yeah. So I'll give you my, uh, my <clears throat> website, but it's, you know, goodlifecounselingaustin.com. Um, that's my private practice. And then your Instagram, because we share you on Instagram a lot. So can you tell the people where to find you on Instagram? Yeah. So I am at roots.and.bloom. So it's roots and bloom, but a dot in between each. Great. Perfect. This was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time and sitting with us. I can't wait for everyone. (laughs) I could talk to you forever. I think we'll just have to do it again. Yes. You're amazing. And you have given such great insight that I, I mean, we've talked to several different therapists, but I feel like I connected with you, um, the most, like just the way that you practice and how you look at things. I just felt very connected with that really made my heart warm. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I really, um, it's all about connection and just relationships. Like this is how we heal and this is how we grow. And I'm glad that I, what I've learned could be of some use, you know, but this is why I love what I do. I just, I feel like, you know, the more compassionate we are with ourselves and with each other, the more connected we are. And maybe that's what you feel is just, there's, it's a judgment for you zone. And that is, yeah, that's what brings us together, you know? Mm -hmm. i know another conversation that we don't want to end all right everyone i guess that's it for this week uh we'll talk to you later bye everyone